Good morning. I want to welcome you to Grace. We're really glad that you're here. I would like to ask the ushers to come forward and take our offering. And uh, I love this time of year because things get kicked back off, they gear up, and we have a lot of things going on this fall. Would love to have you take a look at your, um, your GCC update. Uh, for starters, uh, our fall spiritual growth experience uh, begins on September the 9th. It's going to be a busy day because we're going to have a, a, a fall kickoff picnic uh, at the church that, that evening, and uh, so we're excited about, about gearing up for, for the fall, but that'll happen on the 9th. I'll be saying more about that in a little while. We have a lot of upcoming Bible studies, um, and some of these are in your update, but I want to say we've got a precept upon precept Bible study coming up. For the men, we've got a, a, a Bible study called Every Man a Warrior. We've got two different Bible studies for the ladies. Every woman a disciple is going to be Monday at 1.30. Uh, that was on a rotation on the slides there. And we have a Sunday morning discipleship class. So please consult the update about the things that are, are gearing up uh, for, for this fall. Um, now, this week and next week, we're going to take a break from our study in the Gospel of John and uh, talk about some things that I, I hope will just give us some vision Oh, there, there's, there are my kids and my grandkids, and this, this happens when uh, sometimes I've got to restart uh, this. I didn't, there we go, there we go, talks amongst yourselves, uh, <laughs> there we go, okay. So what I want to talk about this morning is, uh, is corporate worship and how corporate worship trans- transforms your life, and I want to say first of all, that um, I was gone for the past two weeks. I had a great time. I had a great time. But my problem when I go, uh, go away, when I go away, th- these past two weeks was really to prepare and study for the fall. And I usually take two weeks and get many outlines done and get ready for the fall, and a little bit into January. But because I go to Seattle, the afternoons, I spend time with my kids my grandkids. And I will tell you, I came back exhausted, exhausted. Uh, and <clears throat> I was thinking about, why am I so tired? Why am I so tired? I have no excuse. I had a great time. Why am I so tired? So Cindy reminded me that one day we were at the beach and my kids were on the seawall. My, my littlest kids were on the seawall wanting to jump into my arms. Ah, that's fun. That's fun. Well, then the other kids got into the act and pretty soon I got kids who are 10 like, you're too big to do this. Yeah, but I want to. Okay, okay. I did that for about 20, 25 minutes. And the problem is I, I start playing. I start playing. And I think that I'm 25 as opposed to whatever age I am now. I've, I've, I've lost count. Anyway, I had, I had, a, great, I had, a, had a great time. I mean, it, it's just a lot of fun. Well, um, in two weeks, we're going to start our fall spiritual growth experience. And if you've been coming to Grace for a while, you know that we do this each fall. And we start with a spiritual growth campaign, so to speak, which is designed to get us prepared for all doing the same study in the fall. So it's going to be this year a study on prayer. And I've entitled it Prayer 101, but don't be deceived by the title. Because what I want to do in this series is tailor this toward what it means to pray in the year 2018 when we have so many distractions, we got iPads and cell phones and tweets and, and things like that, you know, 
Stats are you pick up your smartphone 85 times a day. I, I said, that can't be. And then I started timing it, and I thought, yeah, pro probably is true. How do you pray in a time like this when there are so many distractions? Meaning, how do you pray meaningfully in a time, time like this? So this is, this is basic prayer designed for the demands of the year 2018. But I have to tell you, we've got some really cool things happening in our church with regard to prayer. About four or five years ago, we started our healing prayer team, and we have had a lot of people receive prayer once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times with our healing prayer team. It has been the single most powerful thing that's ever happened to me in my prayer life. It's been really exciting. And we got, uh, I was talking to Cindy, I was talking to Linda Dixon this past uh, Friday. She said, I think there were five healing prayer encounters this past week at Grace, each one of them with very, very significant outcomes. God is doing something really cool at our church with regard to prayer. And so part of what I want to do in this Prayer 101 series is invite us into a transformative relationship with God through prayer. Now, let me just say something else by, by, by way of, of kind of intro to this and to this fall season. Sometimes people will ask me, uh, what's your elevator pitch at Grace? Like, surely you have an elevator pitch. Like, in 25 words or less, what is your church about? And what we've been telling people uh, over the past two years uh, is it's about transformation. If you come to Grace Community Church, we want you to encounter transformation. We love transformation. Transformation sounds like a, sounds like a big, audacious word. It sounds like, like some massive things about ready to happen. And that does happen, but transformation is also a process. It's a process of going through trials sometimes. It's a process of going through dark nights of the soul sometimes. It's a process of answered prayer and studying the Scriptures and learning how to worship and, and, and engage in praise. But transformation is an all-encompassing thing, but we at Grace love, love the process of transformation. And the story of my adult life is a story of transformation here at this church, partly through Celebrate Recovery, partly through the deep friendships I have in this church. I am a product of the transformational ministry of this church. My wife is a, is a product of the transformational ministry of this church. As we go into the fall, what I'm hoping is that we will encounter the transformational benefits that come through prayer. But to kick off this, I, I just want to, uh, I want to take you to Psalm 150 and talk about worship. Because before we talk about prayer, I think it's important to talk about praise and the importance of praise. Now, have you ever noticed who is making money in the music world these days? Is it the new bands or the old bands? It's definitely the old bands. The people who are making money these days are people like the Beach Boys, who can command massive crowds all over the world, or people like the Rolling Stones, who are in their mid to late 70s, I think, 
And uh, they're, they're not using walkers up on stage. They're bouncing around and, uh, on stage. Or maybe the Eagles, who didn't skip a beat after one of their band members died. They got Vince Gill to come and play with them. They're making a lot of money. Some of you probably saw the Eagles when they were in town, and you paid dearly for those tickets. They're still, they're still out there. Or Paul McCartney, most prolific songwriter of our generation, or Eric Clapton, who's losing his hearing, but he still is an amazing guitar player. Or Aretha Franklin, who, who died uh, just recently. But um, these, were the pe- these are the people who are making money in the music world. And you think, well, the, these, are, these are baby boomer bands. Why is it that they're making money? Well, there was an uh, article that came out recently talking about what is it that young people are listening to. And, of course, they listed out all of the up-and-coming new bands. But surprisingly, counterintuitively, guess what bands, three bands, they mentioned? Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, and Billy Joel. These are like 19-year-olds, 23-year-olds, 26-year-olds, and they're, they're going, dude, it, Stairway to Heaven is awesome. I know, I thought it was awesome when I was in high school. I saw them three times. They're awesome. Why are these guys still making so much money on their songs? Well, in part, it's because they have very singable songs. And when you get into one of those concerts, you forget about work tomorrow, you forget about the meal that you're going to have in a few hours, and you get into the musical moment. Case in point, here are the Beach Boys in 2012, their 50th anniversary tour, they're in Japan, and you think, do the Beach Boys really translate into Japanese culture? I mean, really, these guys are from Hawthorne, California, the beach guys, and you look at the YouTube clip, and they're all singing Surfing USA, raising their hands as if they're at a worship service. Everybody's gone surfing, and they all know what to sing, Surfing USA. They know how to do that. What is it that happens at these events? People encounter a moment, an existential moment, where they're in the moment they're in the music, and they're thinking about, well, if they're baby boomers, they're thinking about what they were doing back in the day, you know, or if they're a different age, they're thinking about just, just the music. Well, worship is designed to be that way in the ultimate sense, the ultimate sense, that we are in the moment with the God of the universe. And so I want to lead you through Psalm 150 and talk about how we can tune up our ability to worship here at Grace Community Church. And I'm thinking about this not just for this week, but for the entirety of the fall as we start talking about prayer and the importance of prayer in our life. Well, we start off with Psalm 150, verse 1, and then also this command is repeated in verse 6. The command is simply, praise the Lord. It's one word in the, in the Hebrew language. Now, I want to tell you how how the whole book of Psalms is structured to see how important this is. Psalm 1 begins with a command to delight in God's Word. Psalm 150 comes with a command to delight in His presence. 
and the 148 psalms in the middle are about encountering God's presence in the chaos of life. And the book of Psalms is structured in such a way that it gives us a worldview about life. And the worldview about life is that we navigate life by God's Word and through worship. And even though life is chaotic and messy and crazy, and we live in this fallen world, we navigate through life by God's Word and through worship. It's His Word and His worship together that allows us to navigate the craziness of the life that we, that we live. The command is one word. It's hallelujah. Now, you've heard that word. That word really has gotten into our English vocabulary. It's the word hallelujah. It's a word that originally meant a word that meant shining, shining, or shouting. It's an interesting root because the last syllable is Yah, Yahweh, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. But it's a word that originally meant shining or shouting. I want to connect these two together just for a second, how shining and shouting works. Imagine that you're out at Osage Hills State Park. Uh, this is not technically Osage Hills, but it is an Oklahoma State Park. Imagine you're at Osage Hills State Park, and it's the fall. The colors are beautiful. You're at the sunset. You see the, the sun setting and the beauty of the clouds, and you say, look at that sunset. That's amazing. Maybe you're not shouting, but your voice is raised in excitement about a beautiful sunset. And then you say to yourself, God is amazing. That's the combination of shouting and saying, or shining, the shining of something, the sunset, and saying something about that which is, that which is shining, the idea behind praise the Lord. The grammar of this command is also very instructive because the reflexive form signifies boasting, signifies boasting. So one time, two of my kids um, and, and I were in Florida visiting my, my mom and dad, we were having dinner on, on the beach, and uh, my mom and dad said, hey, let's see if we, can, if we can see the elusive green flash. Maybe you don't know what the green flash is, but if you, live, if you live on the water, you know what the green flash is. When the sun sets, it's possible to see a blue or a green flash as the sun goes down below the horizon. It's about the way the the light bends in the horizon. So, here the sun is setting, and you can't really see it in that picture, but you can see it on this screen here. There's a little green flash, and people will, will look and see if they can see the green flash. Oh, I didn't see it tonight. Oh, there it is. I saw the green flash. So, it's the, the, the grammar of this word hallelujah is about boasting about something that is exceedingly great. The concept behind hallelujah is that I'm boasting and I'm shouting about the shining one, the one who radiates glory, the one who is resplendent with majesty. That's praise. That's hallelujah. I'm boasting about the shining one, and I'm going to say something about the greatness of God. One other thing about this command Psalm 150 begins and it ends the same way. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. 
That's the Hebrew term for, for the Lord. Praise God. And one of the things this should do is remind us that worship and praise is a discipline. Remember, sometimes the Hebrews would take a concept at the beginning, concept at the end, to refer to bookends, to refer to what should happen in the middle. And the idea behind the beginning and the end is that praise ought to be a discipline that we do all the time. We live in a world that's full of entitlements, right? I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to that, that's not fair, that should not have happened that way, this should be different, I'm angry over this, I'm offended by this. We live in a world full of entitlements. And when you become an entitled individual as to your mindset, you lose the ability to praise. Actually, you lose the ability to see because part of praise is seeing the spiritual, seeing what's good, seeing the benevolence of God. And when you become an entitled person, copying an attitude, copying an attitude of being wronged, you lose the ability to see the benevolent goodness of God. So this is a reminder. We need to see so that we can, we can sing and shout forth our praises. Now, at this point, the, Psalm, the author of Psalm 150 tells us how to do it. And there are two ways that you can begin to praise. One is to praise God for His works. And I've put a, a, a categories of God's works up on the screen because if you look at, at, the, at the whole of the Psalms, what you see is that there are four categories of works. There are God's works in creation. There are God's works in biblical history. There are the things that God did in your personal history. And there are future works that God hopefully will perform on your behalf. So the works that God does in the Psalms consists of these four things. And so when we praise God for His works, we can think in these four categories. So here's what He says um, in verse 2, praise Him for His mighty deeds, His mighty, His mighty works. So you can, you can praise Him for what happens in creation. Look, you know a lot about science, even if you're not a scientist, you maybe have seen the blue planet. You know a, a lot about science, and so you can use what you know about science to praise God for His works. Here's a flower or a series of flowers, and maybe you don't know everything there is to know about botany, but you can take a look at a flower and you can enumerate to the Lord the beauty that you see in those flowers. Uh, do you ever take the time to do that? You know, one time I was, uh, I was encouraged by um, a mentor to go out into the woods with my journal and just observe something very small and use that as a springboard for praise to the Lord. That was just so fascinating that I could, that I could, I had so much to write about the small thing that I observed. Or you see the beauty of the fall, and you praise the Lord for that. Or you look at a lake, and you praise the Lord for the things that you see at the lake. Or you see the ocean, and you praise the Lord for what you see in the ocean. There's so much you can do to praise God for the things that you see out in nature. That's one of the ways that you can express your praise for God. You can also express praise for what you know of what He did in the Bible. 
God delivered Israel from the Egyptians. So many of the Psalms are about what He did to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. God loved Elijah even in the midst of his depression. So if you're going through a dark time, you can say, God, I praise you that even when Elijah was depressed, you loved him in the midst of his dark place. God healed the Gentile leader, Naaman. You can praise God for his ability and his power to heal. Uh, Jesus lived a supernatural life. You can praise God for the fact that you can experience His supernatural life as you read through the, the, the Scriptures. Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. You can praise God for that. In other words, you can look at the Scriptures and you can praise God for the mighty works that He did in the Bible. After nature in the Bible, you can praise Him for what He did in your life. Now, I have to tell you, this is a tricky thing. About, uh, about 10 years ago, I wrote down as many things as I could think about in my life that were good. And I came up with a lot of things. And I went back to that and said, Lord, I want, I want you to remind me of things that I forgot that are good. I, I, I filled pages and pages in a Word document of things. Many of them were just very minor. Nobody would think that they were good except me because I was there. I knew they were good. And over the past 10 years, I've been adding to those things. Now, what happens when I go back and I, rem and I look at that document? I go, oh, yeah, that was awesome. I forgot even about the things I wrote down until I go back and look at it. The evil one has an eraser. Remember the Men in Black movie where the guy would press the button and the spray would come out, and you, you would just forget about what just happened. The evil one loves to do that to you so that you will forget the good and you will feel offended by the bad. And it's really important for you to praise the Lord for all those things that He did in your life. And then the other category that I mentioned was praising God for what He could do in the future, saying, Jesus, I praise You that you will perform mighty deeds for me in the future. I know you will. Praising Him for what you know He will do. One of the things you'll know He'll do is it'll take you into heaven. He will glorify you. But praising God for those things that will take place in the future is a really good thing. And then, then we move to the idea of praising God for His character. Praise God for His mighty deeds. Then it says, praise Him for His excellent greatness. Now, here's the thing about, about God. God, theologically, is a simple being. God's simplicity means that He cannot be divided up into anything. You can divide me up. You can divide you up. You can't divide God up. God is, is God. He is pure actuality. He is pure essential deity. But when you take His perfection, and you think about a prism, all of a sudden you can enumerate aspects of His deity, like His omnipresence, He's everywhere at once, His omniscience, He knows everything at once, His omnipotence, He's all-powerful, His wisdom, His love. You can, you can enumerate those 
specific aspects of His character. And when you praise Him for the aspects of His character, that too can be transformative. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him for His excellent greatness. If you want to praise the Lord, Psalm 150 tells us two ways. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him for His excellent greatness. So, here's the thing. Coming to God in worship and praise is the exact opposite of coming to a vending machine. I know you've come to a vending machine. You've been really hungry. You've gone to the vending machine. You've looked at the things in the vending machine. I've got Cheetos here. I've got some Fritos. I've got a Kit Kat bar here. All those things are unhealthy. I've got some cheese crackers here. So, what do I want? And so, you put the money in, and you press the numbers and the letters, and, and the thing goes down. Now you've got your stuff, and you go off and you eat. Coming to God is the exact opposite of coming to a vending machine. Because when you come to a vending machine, you don't want a relationship with the vending machine. You want the vending machine to give you your stuff. When you come to God, it's the exact opposite. Because you're coming to a God who loves you, who is eternally experienced in love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally experienced in the deepest love possible. You're coming to that kind of God who is eternally experienced in love. And that God invites you into the circle of His love. And the way that you encounter that love is through praise. If you haven't enjoyed praise in some time, you haven't enjoyed that relationship with God because the relationship with God begins with praise, you seeing things about His character, you seeing things about His work, and you enjoying that. One of the cool things about the Trinity is that the Trinity is always, the members are always loving the other members, always lifting up the other members. What does Jesus say? I praise you, Father. Jesus engages in praise. So, if praise is an aspect that's actually in the triune God, if we want to love and enjoy God, it means that we learn to engage in this attitude of praise, not just on Sundays or a couple of times a week, but it becomes a reflexive act in our life that the words, I praise you, Father, are, are often on our lips during the day. Now we look at the place for worship. And Psalm 150 tells us there are two, two primary places where we can enjoy worship. We praise Him in His sanctuary. We praise Him in His mighty heavens. So the first place we should worship God is the place where other believers are gathering. So you look at this term sanctuary here, and this psalm was written after the Temple of Solomon was built on the Temple Mount. And so the Temple Mount was the entire Temple Mount was considered the sanctuary. So, you would come up to the Temple Mount and you would praise the Lord up on the Temple Mount with other believers who were also praising the Lord. So, um, you know, we're living in a different time, aren't we? We're, the time that we're living in is post-resurrection. And post-resurrection, people didn't worship on Saturdays, which was the Sabbath day, but they chose to worship on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. 
What they said was, look, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, so we're going to worship the Lord on Sunday morning corporately to remember our position in Christ as resurrected ones. Now, you can worship God any day of the week you want, corporately, anytime you want. But that's what they chose, and that's been the tradition for the past 2,000 years for the most, for, for the most, most part. Um, worship took place corporately on Sunday morning. And what would the believers do when they gathered in the early church? They would engage in, in high, perform, high uh, participation worship where they would, well, 1 Corinthians 14 gives us a nice taste of that. They would worship together in a very participative sort of a way. There's a second place where you can worship, and you can worship God in the heavens, in His mighty heavens. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, by the time Psalm 150 was written, people were often away from Jerusalem and so often they were learning how to worship even though they were not on the Temple Mount. And of course, in Christ, our worship is completely portable. Now, here's what I mean by that. Take a look at these pictures. Are those musical devices portable? If you want to go to your car, do you take your turntable to your car? and drop the record on your turntable and drive along. You'd, you'd never do that. Even the early cassette, cassette recorders were not that way. So, people wanted portability in their music, right? So, now we have some things that are more portable. Any of you who are, you know, a little bit older, any of you ever, ever have a boom box, put it on your shoulder and walk down the street? Don't raise your hand. Well, you, okay, you can raise your hand if you did that. Uh, okay, but how many of you loved the Walkman? Because the Walkman gave you lots of portability in your music. But, you know, that's kind of dorky because you got these big earphones in there. And so we want to think things were more portable. So now we got an iPod down on the left. You know, first generation iPod was a thick, bulky thing, you know, very mechanical. And now you got the iPhone 7 that you can put in water, no big deal, you know. Everything's very portable. We want portability with our music. Many times people would get into their cars and they would have these big, big books of DVDs in them, you know. They get at a stoplight thinking, I don't want to sing that. I want, I, want to, I, want, I want this DVD, you know. Oh, the light's green and I haven't gone yet. Well, now I can get my playlist and I can play whatever I want. We want portability. Worship in the Spirit is totally portable. So when he says, you know, worship Him in His mighty heavens, what, what he's saying is you can take worship wherever you want to go. If you want to drive down the road on your way to work and worship, you can do that. If you want to walk out in the woods and worship, you can do that. If you want to walk your dog around your neighborhood and worship, you can do that. You can worship God anywhere. Worship in Christ is completely portable. And what Psalm 150 says is that we ought to have both corporate worship with other believers in Christ and private worship. What he does not mean is he does not mean, hey, you know what? You can worship God out in the heavens and omit corporate worship. He's not saying that. Both are really important. But which one's more important, corporate or private? Here's what I would say. 
Corporate worship trains you for private worship. Corporate worship trains you to be a really good private worshiper. Not that I'm an example of this, because I'm sure all of you could say the same thing who are experienced in worship, but when I was growing up, um, I learned private worship through corporate worship experiences. Went to a Bible study. I was a sophomore in high school, went to a Bible study, learned the corporate worship songs that they were singing, brought those into my day, into my experience. That was transformative to me as a high school student. Corporate worship trains us for private worship. But I want you to think about what happens to you in corporate worship. You see God as being, as being bigger. Imagine that you could rent out Texas Stadium. I know I use this illustration a lot, but you go to Texas Stadium, you could rent it out for the Super Bowl, and it's just you, just you. Super Bowl, you know, is going to be there. Team's going to be playing. Just you. You've rented out the whole thing. How exciting is that? as compared to having a packed house and everybody cheering for your Dallas Cowboys. How exciting is that? It's more exciting when everybody's there because everybody participating makes you sense the greatness of the object of your joy, your team. And when you gather in corporate worship, you sense the greatness of God as you see others engaged in worship. This actually happened. Um, when there were riots in Baltimore, they played a game at Camden Yards, and nobody was in the stadium at all. And the players talked about what a weird experience that was. Corporate worship allows you to sense the bigness of the God whom, whom you love. If you admit that, you admit something about the bigness of God. So it's important to see corporate worship as a training ground for better, better private worship. So this is our conviction about corporate worship here at Grace. Our conviction is that it, it matters um, that you develop corporate worship as a discipline. It matters for you. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. Now we come to the emotions of worship, um, and this is in verses 3 through 6. We're encouraged to explore a wide range of emotions. Um, we learn a lot from these six commands. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. These are all plural commands. These plural commands suggest that this is to be done corporately in a corporate sort of a setting. We know that the priests were the ones who blew the trumpets, and the Levites were the ones who played the stringed instruments, and the ordinary worshipers played the tambourines, and they were engaged in dancing. So this is not spectator worship. This is everybody participating somehow in the worship experience. Now, I want you to think about the history of worship just, just, just for a second, to think about what a great place you are in today in 2018. For many years, worship was purely spectator. If you went to a cathedral, a lot of what happened in that large cathedral in the Middle, the middle Ages was spectator. I look at the priests doing what they do. 
I look at the professional clergy doing what they do. I don't get to do much. Same thing happened in the Reformation. Reformation was great. A lot of great things happened in the Reformation. Now God's Word became paramount and was exposited, but it still was low participation worship, where for the most part people sat and they listened. And the sermons back then were two, two and a half hours long. Those were the days. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, um, today we're in, a, we're in a situation where we can engage in high participation worship. And that is, a, that is a really good thing. And part of the thing, one of the things we try to do here at Grace is, you know, if God has answered a prayer for you, we invite you to come forward and light a candle. There's nothing magical about that. doesn't mean God is going to answer your prayer anymore. But what it does is it, is it, is it does something to your body. You, you've got to get up out of your seat. As you're going to light the candle, you're thinking about something that God did for you this week. As you're putting it on the stage, you're thinking about, hey, there's other candles here. God did something in others' lives this week as well. Thank you, Lord. It's just something to do with your body that allows you to think in fresh ways about what's going on in your soul. You know, we have the opportunity for people at Grace to come to either side of the auditorium. And we do that because if God has convicted you about something in the moment, we want you in the moment to receive prayer for that. That's an important, an important kind of thing. You can come to the prayer benches and, and pray. We often have people who are praying at the prayer benches and somebody else from the auditorium who knows this person's situation will come, put their arm, arm around them, and pray together. I love it when that happens because that's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. You can bow right where you are. Um, you can raise your hands. Um, you can, when we have communion, come forward and, and we try to not make it too easy on you. Easy is passing out the plate. Hard is you coming forward and getting on your knees. And uh, some of you, you know, you, you need help getting up. That's okay. We want it to be a little hard. We want you to make the choice to come and kneel and humble yourself before the Lord. We want it to be higher participation. Psalm 150 talks about high participation worship, and we're trying to create these things of grace. But let me say this. I think we can excel still more. I think we can excel still more. And I think we can ramp up our levels of participation in worship. A second way that emotion is facilitated in worship um, has to do with the words about tambourines and dancing. Emotion is facil facilitated when we put our bodies into worship. No notice that somebody is, is banging away in a tambourine. They're banging away in a tambourine during worship. Somebody else, somebody else is dancing. So um, the challenge I want to present to you is put your body into worship. Now, I don't know what that means for you, and I'm not prescribing anything, but the, but the biblical pattern is that when you worship, you do something with your body. It's not just a mind thing. You do something with your body. I was at my son-in-law's church this past Sunday, and uh, everybody in that church is under the age of 33, let's say. Now my daughter's 37, so everybody's under the age of 37. 
And, um, you know, we, there, were, there were people who just, they just, you know, like this, got down on their knees and they, they worshiped just like, just like this, putting their body, their body into it. Find ways of putting your body into worship. What that does is it does something to your soul because our soul and our bodies are connected. If I'm, if I'm like this, Lord, minister to me, I dare you. You know, I mean, there's something to your soul. If, 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 I'm, if I'm like this, Lord Jesus, I receive your love, it does something to my soul. What you do with your body matters in terms of the health of your soul. Let me and one more thing about this. The psalmist concludes with the words, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. What he's talking about here is multicultural worship. What he's saying is that God is glorified when people of different languages and races and different cultural orientations are together. God is highly glorified. Up on the Temple Mount, there was this thing called the Court of the Gentiles. And the Court of the Gentiles was designed so that when Gentiles were coming into a relationship with the true God, the Gentiles could see something about God and move toward Him. Now, at the day of Pentecost, there were people from many different language groups, many different races, and they were up there on the Temple Mount on the day of Pentecost, and they were worshiping God in, the, in, in their in, indigenous tongues. God is highly glorified when there is multiracial, multigenerational, multicultural worship. He's highly glorified. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 says, we're going to be worshiping that way for all eternity. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So here are my, my practical takeaways, um, how we can do this. First, be prepared. And I want to encourage you to come prepared to corporate worship. On Saturday night, I encourage you to think about the you that you're going to bring to Grace Community Church on a Sunday morning. Ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Ask God to make you a heartfelt worshiper the following day. Ask God to work in your life as you come the next day. Be prepared. The second takeaway is this. Find appropriate ways to put your body into worship. If it's coming forward to light a candle for answer prayer, do that. If it's, if it's kneeling, do that. If it's raising your arms, do that. And this is what I would urge you to resist. Resist the idea that, who's looking at me? Oh, I work with him. I, I better not better not do anything with my body in worship because I work with that person. No, I mean when you come to corporate worship, th this is you, like praising the God of the universe with your body. How do you do that? Well, there's no prescription for that, except the Bible does often tell us to raise our hands. But put your body into it. And then the third takeaway is this. Don't judge somebody else for not expressing themselves. If you see somebody else not expressing themselves, don't go, that's not a worshiper. Something's wrong with them. That's not a worshiper. No, maybe they had a bad week. Maybe, maybe they're, 
new to Christ. I mean, they could have had a tough time. Don't judge somebody for not doing what you feel like you're called to do. And then finally, uh, come expectantly. Come expectantly. I have had a good number of people who've, who've come to grace tell me I came in a bad mood today and I'm leaving full of the joy of the Lord. I've had some people who said, I had a tough, tough week. I came up here for prayer afterwards. I had a breakthrough in that prayer time. I'm going into my Monday full of excitement. Come expectantly. Come expecting God to do something. God loves to speak in the context of corporate worship. So I'm really excited about where we're headed this fall. Our vision is transformation, and transformation begins with praise. Let's stand for closing prayer, and Paul is going to uh, close us in prayer. Just a reminder that if you'd like personal prayer today, the prayer team will be up at the front at the end of the session. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for reminding us through the psalmist and through Pastor Rod's message this morning that everything that has breath should praise you. You are worthy of our praise. Holy Spirit, we invite you to guide us, to encourage us, to empower us, to, uh, to praise you, to practice the disciplines of praise and worship in both our private setting and in the corporate setting. Lord, we know that as we praise you and worship you, that we're in your courts of thanksgiving and that the enemy is not there. We can go through our day with you, with your thoughts, and not be bothered by the one, the enemy of God and the enemy of us. So may we practice your discipline, leave here today, carry you with us, find gratefulness and thanksgiving in all that we see around us, and praise you with all of our hearts, minds, souls. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Have a blessed day. I saw the light.